one of the best known readings from Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. Just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor is yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while travelling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I will repay you whatever, you will, whatever, you, whatever more you spend. Which of these do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to the Lord Jesus Christ. Loving God, as we gather around your word, may the words that I speak and the meditation of all our hearts transform us into the likeness of Christ that we may love and serve you in the world by the power of your spirit. Amen. Sorry, just needed to get papers in order. Every Monday morning, we gather as a staff team. We touch base with each other. We debrief what's happened in the week before, and we plan for the week ahead. I really value hearing the insights of others, and um, that has been something that's really enriched my time since I joined the community, uh, since I joined the team at the beginning of the year. Last Monday, with this sermon in mind, I asked the crew, what words would they use to capture what the parable of the Good Samaritan is about? And here's what they said. People above theology. Well, that one made me stop and think, and I'm going to say a little more about that later. Someone else said it was an illustration of love thy neighbour. 
And someone else said, this is such a great story because it's accessible to everyone, children and adults alike. People can see themselves in the story. In fact, it's really hard to listen to the story or to read it without putting yourself somewhere in the story. Children do love this story. It's practical and it provides a hero that children can relate to or identify with. A hero who appeals to a child's keen sense of equity and fairness and compassion. A hero who looks after the one that others ignore. There is something very empowering about the parable. Through their rhetorical debate, Jesus is inviting the lawyer to become the hero in the story, to become a person who shows mercy to his neighbor, regardless of his neighbor's background. This is part of the journey of inheriting God's gift of eternal life, a gift that compels us to share that life with others. A few weeks ago, we encountered Jesus as he was on the way to Caesarea Philippi with his disciples, where he asked them that important question, who do you say that I am? We noted that in the Gospels, Jesus asks heaps of questions and answers very few. The dialogue that we read today between the lawyer and Jesus is fascinating. It's a fascinating pattern questions and answers. There are two rounds. In round one, the lawyer asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Let's pay attention to the posture of the lawyer as he, as he poses his question. He stands. He's testing Jesus. This is not the posture of a student learning from his teacher, although that is what he calls Jesus. The lawyer's question is set up to trap Jesus into saying something that might diminish the law of Moses. You see, the natural question to ask would have been, how can I obey God? What must I do to inherit eternal life is another question entirely. An inheritance isn't something that you have to do anything to inherit. It's yours by virtue of your relationship with the benefactor. But Jesus catches the lawyer at his own game when he asks, what is written in the law? What do you read there? The lawyer draws from Old Testament sources and answers, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says you've given the right answer. Do this and you will live. Which is really an answer to the original question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? But the lawyer wasn't to be deterred. Wanting to justify himself and achieve acceptance before God on his own terms, he persists and round two begins. And who is my neighbor? The lawyer would have experienced, a, would have expected a very straightforward answer to this question, a list of people that he could tick off and say, yep, love them. 
he would think that neighbor naturally would include fellow Jews who kept the law. Gentiles, however, are not neighbors, and everyone knows that God hates Samaritans. Even though Leviticus 19 says, the alien who resides with you shall be to you as the citizen among you. You shall love the alien as yourself, for you are aliens in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So the lawyer would hardly have expected the list to include anyone other than my family and the stranger who lives in my town. As Jesus tells a story to answer the question, he actually has something to say about something very important. Jesus has something to say about entitlement, about religious entitlement. You see, there were three tiers of people who served in the temple in Jerusalem. There were the priests and the Levites and the lay people. The law was clear about their responsibilities. There were things that they were commanded to do and there were other things for which the law prescribed ritual purification, particular circumstances where ritual purification was required. The priest and the Levite were traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, which is Jericho's east of Jerusalem, down a very steep road through rocky terrain. It's about 25 kilometers away. You can imagine how isolated it may have been. Even today, when you pull off the road, as some of you may have, you will have sensed that sense of um, almost desolation and, and loneliness, even though it's off a main road these days with all kinds of modern vehicles racing up and down. The priest may well have been returning home to Jericho after serving for some weeks in the temple. The priests were like a guild and they represented the elite class in Jewish society. If someone from the Middle East is listening to the story today, they might assume that the priest wasn't actually walking but riding an animal down the road and able to transport the injured man to help. Language, dress, and accent were markers of ethnicity and class. So the priest had a real problem. The injured man couldn't be identified since these distinctives had been removed. If the injured man was a fellow Jew, the priest was obliged to help him. But how could he be sure? And if the man actually died, the priest would be defiled and he would need to return to Jerusalem to undergo ritual purification. That would have been taken time. It would have been inconvenient. So along with several other issues that are implicit in the story, the priest had to decide what was his duty under the law. He was entitled to continue on his way. And so he did. Enter the Levite from the next tier of temple servers. He could hardly outdo the precedent set by the priest and insult him. He was also entitled to walk on by. Well, the next person to enter the story is likely to have been a Jewish lay person. And this is where the story explodes. It would have been one thing for a good Jewish person to assist a Samaritan. It was quite another thing for a Samaritan 
to assist a Jewish person. Uh, last weekend, you're probably aware that uh, we were at Synod in Brisbane. Jane and Frank are our parish Synod representatives and it was great to be able to spend some time with them along with Stuart and Anne as we participated in Synod with people from all over the diocese. Jane has written a blog for this week and it's a really insightful reflection about what a Christian looks like and what a Christian does. I hope you've had a chance to read it and if you haven't, I'd encourage you to do so. A few weeks ago, Stuart described living as a follower of Christ as a beautifully compelling alternate way of living. This week, we've actually printed that in mega-sized font and we've put it up on the wall of the office to remind us that ours is a calling to a com beautifully compelling alternate way of living. When a Christian's way of being in the world is shaped by loving God with all their heart, soul, mind and strength, we're freed from the obsession of self-serving. Loving our neighbour flows as a natural response to the gift of God's love in our own lives. And this is a beautifully compelling alternate way of living. The question that Jesus ends up asking at the end of the parable really is, which of three, these three people became a neighbour? There are many ways that we can become a neighbour to the people that we meet on the road of life that we're on at this particular time. The hero in the story is the one who becomes a neighbour by showing mercy regardless of language, religion or ethnicity. This is a costly demonstration of unconditional love. When the Samaritan carried the wounded man into a Jewish town, he's risking his life. That would have been a dangerous thing for him to do. When he gave the innkeeper two denarii, he was actually giving him a couple of weeks' wages to care for the man. This resonates with the story of Jesus as the one who breaks in from the outside to give his life to bring salvation for all. At Synod, we actually had 29 motions before us and we were able to um, go through all of them when we finished at six o'clock last Sunday evening. There were some wonderful conversations from people across a breadth of all the um, diversity that is part of who the Anglican Church is. Very constructive, respectful, helpful conversations. Many of these motions, that, the many of the motions presented were challenging us to become more loving neighbors as an expression of our love for God. One motion was an appeal to engage with the scriptures, to wrestle with them and to be shaped by them. We actually moved to affirm the canonical scriptures as the ultimate rule and standard of faith, encouraging clergy and laity of our diocese to read the scriptures and to read other books that might assist us all to better be formed and shaped by the scriptures 
This particular book, which I'm reading at the moment and finding really helpful, is written by uh, someone from the UK, a priest who also has a wealth of experience in chaplaincy settings. It was only published this year, so it's very current, and I'd recommend it as a, as a book to read, to help you read the scriptures, but also as a really helpful book to recommend to others who might be new to the scriptures. Shaped by the scriptures, we're encouraged to have an open-heartedness to others in ways that better foster listening in order to better understand and ultimately to love. And to consider how our own sense of entitlement to particular theological views or expressions of worship might actually sometimes shut down conversation with others to shut down conversation with others who may hold important insights about how we can mature as Christians and as a church community. Some of the other motions that we had before us, one, we moved to encourage adoption of the 10 commitments for preventing and responding to domestic and family violence. This was recommended by the National Anglican Family Violence Project Research report. We move to support a recommendation to the Australian government to offer generous accommodation for refugees and asylum seekers. We move to actively support the work of the Anglican Board of Mission and of Bush Church Aid as a way of supporting mission in rural and remote Australian communities with our First Nations people and with communities in need in other countries. And so to return to where we began, for someone on our team, the phrase people above theology encapsulates the heart of the parable of the Good Samaritan, which isn't to say that theology isn't important. Theology is really important because our theology the way we view and talk about God shapes the way that we see and talk about and respond to people. Jesus challenged the relationship between the lawyer's theology and the lawyer's relationship with people. Jesus invites us to love God and to follow Christ in beautifully compelling ways that allow compassion and mercy to shape us so that we can become loving neighbours. That is who God calls us to be in our world. Which of these three was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to the lawyer, go and do likewise. Amen.